Well, hello again. It's another exciting Lords of Computing podcast with me, Cote, and my co-host. You want to say hello, Matt? Hello, everybody. How's it been going Matt for you Curry. recently, Matt? It's been going good. Yeah? Still hanging changes. in there? A few changes, hanging in there well, making progress, continuing the, the fight, the good fight. And uh, yeah, it's just um, new new things to learn and, and new things... Uh, you know, to go tackle every day that uh, keeps it interesting, keeps it fun. So yeah. we're now you're, a great you're, time. you're such a, a modest person. I'm going to promote something for you before we, we introduce our guest. I think you you have secured a speaking slot at the, the Cloud Foundry Summit this year, right? I did. I'll be talking about uh, how we've built a brand around our enterprise digital transformation and, you know, how that plays into uh, organizational behavior and uh, some of the benefits we've seen from that and uh, why I think it's an important step towards, you know, driving your overall transformation. It's, it's like so the, it whole, be a fun the whole talk. theme of this, this, this uh, podcast almost. <laughs> it is. Boiled down into like 20 minutes plus 10 minutes of Q&A. <laughs> yeah, well, well hopefully, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure there'll be a recording. We'll have to uh, track down that recording. But also, I, if, if anyone wants to go to the Cloud Foundry Summit, they gave me a discount code of CF16COTE. If you go look at the Cloud Foundry Summit, I'll put this in the show notes at lordsofcomputing.com. But uh, you can get 20% off there. But yeah, definitely, maybe I'll even uh, steal the recording and uh, stick it in here. I don't know if steal is a technical or a metaphoric term, but uh, maybe I'll try to put it put it in this, this area. But that should be an exciting talk. So anyways, we have a, uh, we have a, a as, as usual, a guest uh, this this episode, he's uh, I, I I was introduced to him by one of uh, my friends at Pivotal, and he's he's been uh, he was brought in uh, I think a few years ago to help do transformation basically at the uh, the company he's working at, and we we had a little a little call to get to know each other, and he seemed perfect for uh, shooting the crap here with with Matt and us on the podcast. But why don't you introduce yourself? Will do. Thanks, Cote. Um, so my name is Brian Gregory. I'm with uh, Express Scripts. I joined the company a little over two years ago, and I was brought in to, to lead the database organization. Um, it's a pretty sizable org. It was just shy of 100 people. Uh, previous experience was in the cloud world. Uh, I worked at uh, Savvis, which CenturyLink, all that good stuff. So I was kind of exposed to the you know, transformation journey, I guess, years before when we were trying to invent what cloud was, um, working in that space. And when I came here, it was supposed to sh go just down to database space. And I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. You know, I'll just be able to have one focus and figure out where that goes. Right. You're, you're um, like, finally, I can do just one yeah, thing. This will be yeah, great. Yeah. Right. Because before I had, you know, the VMware team, I had DBAs, I had network, I had all kinds of fun stuff. Now I was going to focus on just one. Uh, when I came to Express Scripts, you know, that was my focus. After about a year, a little over a year, we started having conversations about transforming. Uh, the company had really been on a bender of, M&A for years, and that didn't lend itself nicely to, uh, you know, agile development, transforming. It was more about isolating to one platform and, uh, and getting, you know, on board in the new, new companies. So they decided they were going to take, uh, take this on and decide they were going to transform. I started becoming parts of those discussions just because of my experience and knowledge. Um, Soon enough, they moved me to that full time, and I'm now leading the cloud strategy and engineering team. So 
still have the database team. They're actually backfilling me if you're interested in applying for that. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, it's like, like we talked about before, it's like, oh, here's a promotion. Go take this on. And, you know, I went from a hundred person organization to just me. Um, didn't have an org. Oh, that's the best any- kind of promotion. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that is the okay. best kind. <laughs> yeah, it's uh well the funny part about that is that a lot of pe- you know leaders, VPs and whatnot said, "Are you sure you're okay with this? You know, like you're you're leaving this 100-person org for a for an unknown if you will." Um and sometimes I say things I probably shouldn't, but I basically said that the good thing about doing this is if we can't figure this out and we can't transform, then I don't know that I want to be here anyway. So I'm okay with taking it on. Like I'm not concerned that, you know, it's going to fail in three months and, um, you know, we're, we're going to regress and go a different direction. I feel like the company was at a point where we were going to transform and they were willing to, to take on and, and do that. So that's, yeah, a- I, also, I also struggle with separating my inner and outer voices sometimes. <laughs> so, you know, we have that in common. Well, I know from our conversation, Matt, that we do have that, that issue. We kind of speak from the heart and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure that's always a good thing, but, but it's an honest thing. Um, yeah, I, I, I have this uh, big company anti-pattern, which can also be a pattern if it works out well, called um, asking questions usually results in assigning yourself homework, <laughs> right. which is like the, the, the more passionate involved you are. You know, again, this can be great. It's sort of like if you if you care and you want to get involved and you make that known, hopefully you're in a culture such that people who care and want to get involved are given work. I mean, that's why they call it work. It's not called, you know, right. hanging out. But uh, right. you, you do have to be a little leery every now and then of, oh, crap, I just created a bunch of work for myself, <laughs> if that's not well, what you're in intending. The, in the yeah. enterprise, when you ask questions that people don't like, they elect you to a committee. That's how they get you to <laughs> shut up. <laughs> you know, and one thing that's actually kind of funny about that is that when, you know, our leaders basically made the investment and said, this is how we're going to springboard into this journey. When I was asked about it was kind of review time and they said, you know, where do you want to be at ESI and what do you want to do? And I think the obvious answer was to go back to my roots and get back into this cloud, you know, space and the, uh, the app space. And I just basically said, oh, I think I'm good. There's a lot of work to be done in the database space. You know, I'm okay here. And, you know, a week goes by and they asked again, you know, where are you, where do you want to be and what do you want to do? And then, uh, my, my leader at the time said, you know, all right, well, how could ESI best use you going forward? which was a different question. Um, I think my resistance a little bit was to say, how serious are we? I was still kind of Mm. in this mode of like, I'm seeing a lot of things, but I'm not, you know, they're all words or lip service. And I'm like, as you know, you guys know, it it takes a lot to transform an organization and you need that leadership, you know, top down approach. And um, I did start seeing that and realizing that we are, we are in this and that's when I said, okay, here I come. So yeah, I, I think, I think, I think that's, that's a good point. That's sort of like the, uh, the key question to ask when you're about to assign yourself homework is, d- am I going to get the support that I need? And, and, and then a broader question is, do they really mean it? <laughs> right? Like, exactly. is, is this just some canard that I'm going off on? Or is this, it's actually mission critical to use, to use an old funky term for it. And it's, it's important right. that this stuff is solved. Right. And is it, are we doing it just to be relevant? Are we, you know, just using it to, to say we're doing this and, you know, or are we going to really transform our business? And so that's when I was convinced that, all right, that we are serious about it. Of course, at that time, I didn't have any resources, but, um, you know, we've, we're getting there. I'm starting to build an organization. I've got a handful of people now. So, um, 
actually Matt and I talked about that before about what, what does that look like and how can I, how should I approach this? Cause it's, it's not one of those things you're just going to go ramp up and say, I'm going to build an org of 20 people. Um, nor can you run around and say, I'm going to stand up a DevOps organization, uh, which I think is funny in itself, you know, cause it's, it's, I'm like, it's not something, uh, you can build in preparation for something. It's something that you, you know, build as a result of something else. And it's kind of a culture thing. So, yeah, well, that, that's, that's, that's a, that's a good, uh, a good segue to like kind of the next topic, which is, well, well, t- t- tell me what you guys, both of both of y'all think of this. Like I find myself, so in that situation you were talking about, we don't just go like build an organization right off the bat or, or, or whatever. Scurrying behind that is this, I don't know, I would almost call it a theory that when it comes to IT transformation, at, at least the way that we're currently doing IT transformation, whether you want to call it like cloud native or DevOps or cloud or, or, or whatever, the mm-hmm. first the first thing that you have to realize is how we end up doing this, we don't exactly know right now. So the first step is to figure out what we're doing. <laughs> and, and, right. and until we figure out what we're doing and why, we can't really get to the how of it, how we're going to do it. And then once we get to the how of how we're going to do it, then we can build an organization. But the trap you don't want to fall into is like, well, of course, we're going to need 50 people and a data center. So let's build those first while we're figuring out what it is we're doing. Right. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I think like to me, you kind of have to iterate into it because things will, you just don't have all the information up front. Like there is no, you can't take a waterfall approach to like building a, an enterprise transformation. Like you have to be comfortable with living in this unknown area. So if you think you need 20, well, maybe you know you need five. So start there and like see what you can build with five and like see if you can build some momentum and credibility get some learnings, get customer feedback, and operate from there. I think the other thing that's important is we talked about leadership buy-in, and yeah, it's important. It's hugely critical, and we're all sitting here saying, okay, are our leaders like really 100% bought in behind this? Are they showing us that through actions? But the other thing that's important to understand is most transformations don't start with like CEO-level buy-in. Like You don't get to start there. Like You have to get there. You have to win yourself there to get to that finish line. But it's definitely a milestone that needs to be crossed at some point. Mm. Right? Yeah. That's a good point. That's a good point. And it's not just the at that level, the C level, there's a lot of other business folks that you're you know you have to win over as well, like you're talking about. So so when you were sitting there as a uh, uh, a transformation of one <laughs> <laughs> how, 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 how did you start going through this, I don't know, for lack of a better phrase, sort of enterprise strategy discovery phase where you were like building out and trying to figure out what to do and, and almost, almost right before, I don't know, maybe not, maybe you'd characterize it differently, but right before you start iterating on an idea, like what do you, how do you bootstrap this from, from, uh, from one person? Well, you know, what's, what's kind of funny is how we really launched is, was a little bit backwards. I think we were trying the approach of, okay, now we've bought a, you know, a converged infrastructure solution. We're going to, we've decided to go with PCF and, um, we were talking about having these dojos and we tried to go with this kumbaya thing where everyone kind of was included and part of it. And I think you had the traditional IT dragging its feet where you'll never come to a consensus, um, so nothing could happen. Um, 
me and my open mouth, you know, like Matt, I went to my boss and said, kind of unleash me, let me go after this and I'll, I'll get this thing going and we'll, we'll kick off. Um, and I finally got that permission and I basically set the meeting up. The first dojo was, uh, like five different business partners that I brought in that had what I thought were viable applications that would make sense to have this kind of conversation about what would it mean to rewrite their app or port it over or, what could we do there just to get going? I knew that it wouldn't be the right end state, but it was something to get us going and start to iterate on on something, right? And so, um, you know, example of that is a guy came in and said he had to do a CMS project. And so we started out, you know, with Drupal and then we went to another solution and we've, we've iterated five times and now he's where he needs to be. But that that was never going to happen unless we just said, let's do it. Let's Let's make the call. Let's go in the room and start kind of blocking because you needed to kind of knock down a bunch of barriers and get the ball rolling. Otherwise, you'll never, you know, uh, define that end state. It's not going to happen, nor should you. So, so it sounds like the, the, the t- tell, tell me if I get this wrong, that's the, the, the sort of timeline and then tactics you got into was you started off more or less with like a, a centralized, like, here's going to be our, our cloud or whatever, our new way of doing things. And then, right. and then, and then you kind of detected that there was enough like resistance or as you said, foot dragging and you're like, eh, this isn't really going to work out as quickly or as well as we wanted it to. And then you sort of shifted to, and this is my characterization of it. I need to go out into the organization and basically find my customers and right. I might need to actually tell them they're my customers and they may not realize it, <laughs> but no, I, need, I need to effectively market that we could be doing something for them. Right. Like they, they should yeah. instead of doing this all on their own, they should think about using the, uh, the sort of cloud thing that we're setting up. Correct. That was absolutely it. Being a, a, the evangelist, which I didn't realize was going to be my primary role, was was really what it came to be. Yeah, that, that's that's interesting because it, it is a um, I mean, I mean, you, you have you I think I think you've had a similar experience, right, Matt, where you you, you need to kind of pull some people in to the, uh, the, the field of dreams you might dream build every now and then. Yeah, I, that's exactly right. Um, what I was, you know, we took a approach of really, um, just getting together with different areas and seeing where we could find, uh, excitement or people who had experienced so much pain dealing with traditional, um, you know, infrastructure land that they were really ready to try just about anything else, uh, which as it happens, isn't that hard to find those people. Uh, there are a lot of people frustrated, especially on the application side, um, by, by traditional infrastructure land. And I think um, finding those business partners and getting some early wins is hugely critical. Um, so I was wondering how your database experience played into exposing who the who you could partner with um or if it helped you at all uh having come have having had a history in that space because you know persistence is kind of one of the harder parts of distributed systems yeah it's um i i would say the relationships were were there because of a lot of the app teams you know consuming database services and um it helped a little bit when it comes to that but i I don't know our traditional app stack. I would say it was not like the the low hanging fruit, if you will. They were 
when you start talking to those teams, it was kind of like, all right, how do they play? And that's that's a whole other discussion about the cloud native uh, roadshows I was telling you about. But it's it wasn't them. It was more the what's the greenfield stuff. And of course, you don't have that many of those, so we had to go after those. But then it was going back to people that I've got relationships with and have partnered with in the past. And oddly enough, some some of the stuff that came out of that was pretty interesting because you know they were doing mainframe COBOL stuff that would never even go in a sentence with uh, PCF. And we found that we started doing other things. We had a hackathon, our very first hackathon with that same group. Um, and I think that was basically because on relationships and just talking about what we could do that would be kind of different and cool and deliver you know, business value. So um, I think that really helped. But I think at the end of the day, the database space, the thing that scares me is I know too much about it. So I know that the complexity of the database as a service and how are we going to do things going forward, right? Moving things off of certain technologies, exposing them via APIs, putting them in maybe a cached solution. You know, there's a lot of ways that you got to skin that one. And, and um, I don't know that we're going to be able to go fast enough because in my analogies, it's like you break down the ITAS, you know, IAS layer and it's like, okay, we can automate that. And we can do a lot at pass, but then the next, you know, the next dam you got to break through is that database because that's where the data is at. And if everybody has their touch points there, um, you're going to have to move that data around and make it exposed a little bit better than it is today. That that does seem like the what would you call it? Maybe the second struggle <laughs> in yeah. in doing in doing a cloud native transformation. Like the first one we kind of alluded to is just like getting people to want to make create and run their applications in a new way technology and process wise right like right. just getting right. them to kind of like an agile small batch devopsy kind of thinking and right. and then you sort of move people over there and then it seems like you know you kind of like round the next bend and you're like oh crap data <laughs> and, and then, and then that's like that's like it's like a whole new set of problems that you have to solve that you know, maybe it's because I don't really follow data too much because I, I gleefully kind of exist in the stateless world more than than state. But it doesn't seem like there's like a whole lot of solved problems there. Like there's there's a lot more questions than there are answers. And so you have to go in there and, and figure it out somewhat painfully. Right. I think everybody yeah. does it slightly different. And so I think that's why we haven't seen like a really massive database as a service offering outside of you know what you see in AWS, right? Um, so it's kind of an interesting dynamic there. One thing that we've seen on our side is, you know, for staging and like testing environments, we just gave really simple, inadequate solutions, at least to allow developers to be unblocked. And as long as we provided them with the information that it's not the final answer, they were good with it because they were good enough with it that they could at least move forward and like persist data somewhere. But knowing that they were going to have to change how that data got persisted in the future um, enabled them to write their apps in such a way that you know they knew that change was coming and that change would be easier. I don't know um, what Brian's seen on his side, but... That's, no, you're absolutely right. I was just going to say it's it's one of those things that we, we solve for the interim, but we haven't we know that it's not the long-term solution that it might change. Um, and, and we're doing things that the one thing that's interesting too, is that, you know, you take your traditional database space and 
they they typically don't support MySQL, Redis, you know, Mongo, things of that nature. So um, bringing that conversation in the mix is going to be a whole other um, aspect as well. I don't know what you guys are doing there, if you how you have that managed or or whatnot today, but that's going to be a, a bit of a. Now, I, w- I will say that the team's interested. You know the the team. When I say the team's traditional stuff, you know it's Microsoft SQL, Oracle, Teradata. You know DB2, your typical uh, database platforms. When you start going to you know this open source community and things like that, it's a little bit different for support. Yeah, I think in our world, Oracle is the answer to every problem at the moment, <laughs> uh, which is unfortunate. Yeah, um, but. We're seeing exactly the same thing where we're starting to see enough momentum that we need enterprise offerings around Mongo and um, some other some other different type of data stores. Um, you know, we're trying to kind of ground the architecture in Cap Theorem um, so that you know the dis- way the distributed systems are architected aligns with how the persistence is architected. I'm um, trying to send that message, but even that is a pretty big shift for how we've typically approached uh, data. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I guess we have a long, hard road ahead, but an exciting one. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like the, uh, the funny thing is that's like the three year map or something, you know, where we're obviously both laser focused on the, you know, the next week, right? We try not to look too far out. I know when I speak, you and I, that is, we try not to look too far out because it's like we've got so many problems right there in front of you that you kind of have to address. Um, I mean, still winning over. You know, I think, Cote, the, the interesting thing is that I'm starting to feel that momentum. So it's like you you create this wave because you want people to believe in what you're doing and consume it and come to your, you know, come to your new home and watch sure. how awesome it's going to be. You don't want to be um, crying alone at your party. Right. But you be crying with time, people. <laughs> But at the same time, it scares you because you realize you've done that. You've done just that. But you don't have the back, you know, the back end forces behind you to support that. Um, so that's when you start to scramble. You know, day right. one, I'm like, uh, you know, depending on what random article you read, if you talk about day zero and day one uh, staffing, you know, it could be five people. It could be 50. Um, mine was more about let's just kind of see where we go and see how this takes off and then, you know, go from there. Well, now I've done that. And so now it's like people want to go to production in the next, you know, month, we'll probably have three apps in prod. Um, so now you're scrambling going, oh, what about the non-functional requirements? Let's make sure we get all that stuff, you know, nailed down. And we are talking about some, you know, uh, pretty heavily used production services. So it's not just fun ones on the back end that I can play with and show off to all my friends and <laughs> say, look at this cool app we got. Um, well, well so, so to that point, it's always good in the middle of a conversation like this to actually define what your organization does. <laughs> but <laughs> since, since since we've gone over kind of characterizing the uh, the sort of applications and services, like can can you give us a, a kind of an overview of as 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 you so easily say what ESI does and 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 how that kind of decomposes into the type of IT that you have to have and the applications that you need to run. Yeah, I mean, we're, you know, it's funny because we're, you know, a PBM business, but, our, you know, our goal is no different than what it is for like IT. So our user experience is what we're after, right? It's it's the whole world today. It's delivering a better, more affordable user experience uh, to our end users, our customers. 
you know, whether that be, you know, you go on online and try to figure out how you're going to do your mail order description. We want that to be a seamless integration and process for people. Um, so that comes into the digital side, right? Then you get the web and the mobile and <clears throat> things like that. So we're trying to go after creating that user experience that, you know, let's let's be honest. So a lot of people have nailed in the industry, uh, not naming names, but we're going after that. And it's no different than what we're trying to do with IT, right? We want we want to be the PaaS layer and the IaaS layer that just says it's here, it's available. Here's all the capabilities. We're going to empower you to be awesome and and develop code and write code that basically will turn into revenue for the company or you know better experiences for our end users or. Um, that's kind of what what we're tr- trying to focus on at this point. I think that um, you know, I, I think that the the big thing is for us. It's hard because you know we are a you know a Fortune twenty two company, right? We're a big you know hundred billion dollar company, so it's not that easy to just course correct the Titanic. Um, so we're trying to figure out where those opportunities are, and we can you know turn around and make things better, you know, without. Uh, disrupting the back-end services and all the things that run our $100 billion business. Right. Um, that's the difficult part, right? Because you can't just forget about that. That is what your revenue is. You can't just go off and do all cool, fun things and and uh, disrupt that. Yeah, and and, and this, th- I mean, this this is always, a, can be a bit of a, a, a rat hole or a, a rabbit hole. I don't know which one is better. But uh, <laughs> like, how do you, in in that context, how do you sort of determine what, better is when it comes to software and 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 to kind of explain that i was i think i was reading through some adrian cocroft piece the other day and he pointed out that like uh a lot of this like cloud and devops and stuff we talk about nowadays it matters a lot if you care about the user experience and the design of your application because Mm -hmm. you know if 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 you're if you're going to be like releasing applications every day or every week in theory in, in, in addition to being able to patch things really quickly. But the reason you're doing that is because you're paying attention to user experience or design. And you're trying to make the interaction between a human and your software better. Which, right. you know, that sounds awesome. But we've all worked in various big companies, and I'm sure our present employers are not like this. That's not always a corporate priority. <laughs> right? Right, like, right? Like there are other things that define what better is. And so I'm I'm curious when you're looking across that and and the initiatives that you're doing are very much I mean the 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 reason you would use something like a pivotal cloud foundry or things like that is you know largely about being faster at deploying and therefore I would think about better user experience but there must be other considerations as well or maybe that's the only one that defines what better is No that's that's actually a perfect analogy because you know my my thoughts are you know we process like a 1 billion prescriptions each year um, for tens of millions of patients. I don't know that the patients really care about how claims are adjudicated or the back-end processing. Right. Um, I, th- I think the things that are they're exposed to is what we got to nail down, right? Mm-hmm. And the typical IT, you know, here's six months, here's your VM, here's start to write code. Uh, it's a year later, and you realize that you're way off mark and the customer is not happy and they're pissed and they're going a different direction. Um, this is about any user interface, right? So if they're touching, they're doing anything, you know, maybe if they're not touching it, maybe it's on the back end, it's faster, it's seamless. If they're doing a pre-auth check and it, it goes quickly and they're not standing there at a counter somewhere or waiting uh, for their prescription to mail, you know, things like that is really where we want to focus. So we have been kind of focused on the B2C web um, and mobile app. 
because that allows us to iterate and change, you know, daily, get that automated pipeline and do things faster. And that's really what this is all about. Uh, that's not to say that we don't go after some bigger chunks down the road. I just don't think that they're, you know, in our in our near term vision. It's it's again, like if you're processing scripts on the back end and adjudicating claims, that doesn't sound like a big exciting thing. Uh, <laughs> at least for for us three, it doesn't, right? Yeah. I, I, well. I think it's this is a super interesting topic to me because I think it's actually a mindset thing. Like the people that are building your mobile apps and your web apps today are much more likely to be of the mindset to enable you for success to move towards a self service platform versus the person running like your back end system that's written in COBOL and hasn't been touched for 30 years who probably is like, Oh, this cloud thing is just a regurgitation of something we were doing 30 years ago. And like, you got, you kids don't know what you're doing, <laughs> you silly geese. Um, I think the core systems, the core systems conversation is just like this, this big lie. It's really weird. Like, I'm trying to figure out where it came from because it's, um, the way I think about it is like my wife watches all these crazy uh, HGTV television shows where they do like these renovations. And, you know, every once in a while, somebody goes and buys this really old house. And as long as the walls are up, like everything seems really great. And then like once you start ripping into them, you start realizing that like there's electrical hazards and like the plumbing's done all wrong. And there's these horrible uh things that have occurred over the years, these barnacles that have attached themselves to the ship of this core system. And uh, the risk is actually exposing that those things are there, mm. not like, not breaking stuff. Yeah, and, right. and it's 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 funny. I, I think I think if you have a uh, an IT or or even a modicum of a programmer background, you 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 can detect traces of this in various systems that you use. Like, well, I guess to name names, like you look at American Airlines login. And and instead of putting in only your like username and password, you also have to put your last name in there. And I don't know what that means, but there's some kind of like <laughs> there, there's some kind of weird IT thing going on in their core system. Probably this is when they merged with U.S. Airways, and and you know it works. At, you know, Americans' website is actually pretty good for what I would expect. Uh, so kudos to that. But it is you see these little things pop up every now and then that are strange or like you know. It's it's almost the equivalent to be very non-IT. I always notice when I go to uh, visit my doctor or or a clinic, like everyone's constantly asking me for my phone number and my name. Like every time I see a nurse or a doctor, and it's it's I guess it's almost like some sort of checksum in the system. But there's similar things that you see in big enterprise systems where there's obviously some weird COBOL or, or as you say, or something running around in the background that's precluding a nicer user interface. Like the, the, it leaks all the way up to the top, which, which can be annoying. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's funny you say that because I think sometimes I find myself you know, reiterating that, you know, our goal at the end of the day is to provide an innovative platform and that's going to transform how we build software. Right. And people tend to want to take legacy processes, which, um, you know, are kind of anchors. So every time you touch back, you know, it's, uh, who was it? One of my buddies told me that it was like, every time you touch back into legacy processes, you attach another anchor, which eventually will weigh you down and sink your ship. Right. Just, just, just like the, Matt's, uh, Matt's health yeah. renovation problem. <laughs> right. Right. And it's like, you know, it's, it's funny, you know, I do, I am kind of cheesy, right? So I will, I will use the dojo, you know, and I do throw out the, there's no fear in this dojo and all that fun stuff. But you know, it's, it's like, 
I like to say it just takes smart people, right? Partner them with other smart people on the product side. And let's just enable them, come up with cool ideas and iterate until we come up with something of value. And that's really what the focus is. There is no titles in the room, right? They all drop at the door. We come in, we're all focused on outcomes and goals and not not focused on reintroducing, you know, uh, the old legacy process or whatever. Let's figure out how do we make this go better, faster and do it at scale because, you know, that that's really where the wins are. Yeah, and, 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 and that that touches back on something we were, we were talking at the beginning is the 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 mentality that I find people often have to get over in situations like these is I, I don't know to put it in hokey terms like you have to tell your team like we need to go be creative and explore things <laughs> like yeah like we're, we're not because most of the mentality I think people have in I don't want to say regular jobs but I don't know what else to say regular jobs is it's pretty clear what I'm supposed to do. I'm, I'm in a nice way that's relaxing and beneficial and profitable. I'm a cog in a machine. And so I do the right. things. Whereas in a situation where you're trying to improve something or transform, it's almost the opposite. It's like, I don't even know if you're a cog. You need to figure <laughs> out, we need to figure out what's going, like, we know what, out, as you're saying, we know what outcome we want, right? Like, right. we, and we kind of don't know how to define that outcome, but we know that, people should be happier that we process these, these scripts and claims better or whatever, but right. we need to figure out how to do that. So we're going in that direction. Yeah. That's what we know. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, and, and it's not really that, that related to what we were just talking about. But one other thing I, I was, I was interested in saying, maybe this would be the, the last thing before we wrap up. I knew we would have to do like a two part episode or something. That'd be fantastic. But, um, yeah. So, so thinking back on, on, you know, at one point there was like you as the transformation person, and then you had maybe like, let's say three or five other people helping you out. And you kind of had identified, um, let's say two to five other applications, you know, customers, as we were talking about earlier, um, that would be working in your orbit here. Like, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty and everything, but looking back on it, what are like the first two types of people or roles or staff that you think were handy or would have been handy to acquire? Like, would it have been nice to have a project manager or like developers or I don't know, like coaches or something like us outside of your own skin? Like what kind of people would you staff a team with initially for, for an initiative like this? I think, you know, your first and foremost is that I, you know, I always uh, call them Swiss army knives that are kind of the the guys or girls that you could throw them into anything and you just know that they'll figure it out and be successful. And, and, you know, they're very, they're heavy on the technology side, I think, and, and trying to understand things and the way their brain works. I think those people, um, they get so excited about learning something new that they don't hang on to existing processes. Um, I think that you get people that have too much process in them they're going to be kind of going down the wrong tread and, you know, track and wondering, well, am I doing the right thing or wait, how do we do this today? And not trying to think of things differently. I think the PM is critical at this stage, meaning this stage of three months in, because you start realizing that you've drummed up the, you know, this, this wave that's coming and you've got a lot of apps that are now asking about prod deploys and what that looks like. And you start having to track that. Cause I'm not one to, um, I'm not a very good project manager. Uh, so I think drumming up the business, being that, you know, getting out and getting in front of them, uh, having someone there available to you as far as like teach them how to fish, right? Get them in the foundation, teach them, go through a couple of, 
examples, do a couple of push deploys. Once they realize that, I think the right people kind of just take off with it on their own. Mm. Um, some, you know, some won't, but that's okay. They'll, they'll need more education and we'll get that to them. Uh, but some, they're just pretty hardcore programmers, right? You put something like that in front of them, they'll start to realize the opportunity. As a matter of fact, um, one of the funniest stories we have is uh, a guy start out in the morning. This is a true story, by the way. I can actually show you proof. Uh, he, he said, all right, I'm in the found, I'm in the foundation now. I need a Tomcat farm. I don't see a Tomcat farm. It's like, all right. So we explained the whole Tomcat, our thoughts on that. Um, later he was trying to push the command. This is about noon and he's going, I I'm trying this command. I'm not put, it's not pushing the app. And when we corrected him on a few of his commands by the end of today, at the end of the day, he sent an email. <laughs> this is true. This is a true story. It said, prepare the cloud for production. It's like, I am ready. I am ready to release to prod. It's like, okay. So this morning you thought you had a, you know, a Tomcat farm you needed. You know, so my point is some people now, again, we didn't let that guy go to prod. Like there's a whole other process for that, but some people get in there and they'll just start coding. They'll push their app and it's, you know, it's great. It works fast. And they have 20 different things in the pipeline that to automate, to get them to prod. And some only needed five because they don't have touch points into, uh, existing databases or anything like that. And it's a little faster. I think the key is getting some people that are Swiss army knives that can sit with them and try to figure out problems. Cause really what you need is people that are going to try to sit down and say, okay, I understand your problem. How do we want to approach it? It doesn't have to be the right answer. It doesn't have to be the end answer. It's got to be a answer. You just can't say we don't do that. Or, you know, that's not how we do things here or, you know, kind of kick them away. And I think, you know, those people in your, in your IT, you know, groups is they're kind of the, I wouldn't say the rogue, um, a little wild, you know, wild, wild west. They're just more about solving problems as opposed to process and procedures. Right. Right. No, they're, they're, uh, I mean, to characterize them in, in, in a, uh, sardonic kind of way, they're, they're, they're like problem solving junkies. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, like, it, yeah, they, it, like all they want to do is solve problems, which, and and this isn't always a black and white thing, but like if if you're only a problem solving junkie, it means you're terrible at long term support for an app and maintenance for an application, right? Because you're kind right. of like there's no problems to solve here; it's very boring. But they they're right. great for like the kind of this initial, as you say, wild west of stuff. Yeah, exactly. And I think yeah, the, they're they're sorry. GSD cowboys. Like if you go to anybody in your org and like, hey, I want to do something weird. Who will help me get it done? Like you'll get the same <laughs> three to five names <laughs> every time. Right. Those are the people. And uh, we have been successful. You know, the rest of the company, you know, the the different IT groups have started to um, help support this initiative. You know, we had you know our enterprise application management team put forward 10 people um, to enter, get to interview for a potential spot on the team, you know, and they're, they're putting their best people up, you know, their, their best kind of their linchpins in their orgs, which I think is a big deal when they're, they're willing to kind of donate, mm. if you will, to, to the cause and know that they're going to lose this resource. Um, I think that's a big deal, but I should say that while that's all important, you also have to start to make sure you have those people that are very process driven to help guide you down the path for production support and the non-functional requirements, because otherwise all of us uh, kind of wild and crazy people come up with all these neat ideas. And then they're not, they're not ever going to get to production because we don't have the other side to 
augment that effort. And, and to that point, I mean, again, tell me if if your experience isn't like this, but I would assume you have, as as Matt calls them, your uh, I think GSD stands for get stuff done. If I remember, yeah, right, that's right. You have that's your uh, your GSD cowboys or your TCV like uh, police or whatever. And I assume, you know, because there's there's kind of a uh, a process, if you will, that you described, which is you need to establish some early success, which then you kind of take to the mainstream and then that wins them over to doing things the new way. So I assume you get your Swiss Army knife people and they're maybe not exactly the way you'll be staffing and operating the mainstream projects, but they prove out this way of doing things. And then if if that goes well, you can kind of take that to the rest of the organization who may not be Swiss Army knives. Maybe they're just really stable chef knives, like just nice functional things you can depend on. And uh, yeah. it's easier to win them over because you've built up basically, as we would say in Vinderland, some cases, uh, some references yeah. that, that you can prove out to other people to win them over. Yeah. And I one last thing I think that is kind of uh, was a big deal for me, which is going to kind of sound silly, but you know, talking to Matt, getting introduced to, to Matt and then yourself, because you, you're beating your head against the wall every day trying to, again, redirect a Titanic, if you will. And then when you talk to people like Matt, it's like, OK, he's been there. Same experience. This is not you know, I'm not crazy. This is kind of normal. And here's kind of kind of help guide you down the river. Right. You know where you want to end up, but maybe you take a turn here, take a turn there. And what's you know, where do you need to take your stick your foot to the ground and say, I can't budge on this, but I can on this. You know, that stuff helps because it, you do start to feel like you're going crazy. And I think uh, I still quote Matt. I still quote Matt is is lifting my spirits one day because he basically said, um, he asked me how I thought I was doing. And of course, I'm like uh, terrible, right? Because I like to uh, overachieve and I want to be much further along. And it, he kind of grounded me and said, but if you look back at what you've done, you've done some pretty amazing stuff. So you can't look at it like that. You know, you, you, you may only be 20% of the way there in your mind, but you know, it's a, it's a great deal for what, you know, when, when you really look at it in the scope of things. And I think that I find myself even re reiterating that same quote to people on my team, right. That when they get their heads down and they're like, Oh, why is everything so hard? Um, Cause it is hard and it's not going, it doesn't mean it's not going to be uh, more rewarding in the end, but it's, it's very difficult. So I think having you two to talk to um, people that have been through it and are going through it and understand it very, you know, it helps you a great deal. Yeah. Well, well, that's, that's, that's a good point to wrap up on a, a high note. And I no, I think, I think you're right. That's, that's what I, when I talk with people about this, uh, one of my personal goals, which I don't really tell them until I sniff them out is like, this stuff is hard. So yeah. get ready for disappointment, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> like as long as you know, it's going to be different. It's, it's kind of analogously, like people try to tell you how hard being a parent is and they, they don't tell you enough, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, like it's going to be very difficult. And so you need yeah. to understand that it's not, uh, it's not all just like a bunch of special family ties episodes that resolve themselves in 42 minutes or whatever. It's uh, a yeah. much more difficult, but Hey, I appreciate you being on with us. We'll, we'll have to, uh, if, if you'll uh, deign to do it, we'll have to have you on for a second part. Cause, uh, I think between Matt and I, um, and even, even some questions I've written down while we've been here, there's some topics that we should get onto or, or we should uh, talk about you as well. Um, uh, but you know, I think, I think that was, uh, that was very helpful for, uh, for the people that we had there. Do you have any, do you have any, uh, like Twitter accounts or URLs you want to hand out to people if they want to uh, follow up with you? 
Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll shoot those to you. I don't have them. Uh, sure. Well, I'll, I'll I, put I, those I just in changed my name. But, okay. Um, you know, yeah, I think we should definitely follow up. I'd be glad to. I'd, I would actually love to. Uh, one of the exciting things I'm talking about now is the whole funding model and how is it different and how do you treat it mm. going, you know, in this space versus the, the legacy mindset, right? Because it's completely different. So that's, yeah. that's something I'm doing now. So that's kind of exciting. Yeah, no, I, I think I think I think if there's two areas, um, they're not the only ones that distinguish enterprise problems, so to speak, in 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 the cloud space. But the two, well, that's one of them. One of them is is how do you deal with the CFO and funding and thinking about all of that. And then the other one, which which I'm sure you would have some. I mean, actually, you know, both of you guys, any enterprise has this. Is basically how do you deal with like regulations and auditors and and all of that. And I think. Um, it's, it's, it seems like there's almost, if, if I have my shapes right, there's a convex answer to it. Like there's a whole, there's a large set of problems that are easy, which are sort of like, like when you look at, when I look at like PCI standards, it's kind of like, don't do dumb stuff, like writing your password on a post-it note. <laughs> right? right, right. And, but then, but then there's some really hard things that can kind of like yeah. foul stuff up. And, and there's not really any middle problems. There's either really easy problems or really hard problems when it comes to audit and compliance. And, and I don't, I don't think a lot of the consumer space people have those issues so much, uh, as opposed to, uh, enterprise areas. But yeah, it, we, we have plenty of topics. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll have a follow up, uh, sort of, I wouldn't call it a grilling, just a slight s'more cooking. More, more delightful. <laughs> that sounds good. All right. Well, as always, this has been the Lords of Computing podcast. Uh, you can go find uh, this episode and the other ones that, that uh, Matt and I have done and the future ones that we'll do at lordsofcomputing.com. Or if you just go to cote.io, which will it'll forward you to, you can find this podcast. And um, we'll put some links to, uh, to, to Brian's stuff uh, in the show notes, as he said, and some other, like a summary of what's been going on here and uh, in, in this episode and links to other interesting things, including that, that uh, 20% discount to the CF summit. If you want to, uh, I'll be there and you can come see uh, Matt talk and other people discussing uh, things like this. I think they, they do them in like 30 minute chunks, right, Matt? Or is it 45 minute sessions that they do? I think the session, my session is 30 minutes. There you um, go. I think it depends on the session type. I think the keynotes might be a little bit longer, and I think um, they have these birds of a feather sessions, which ah, are really yes. cool, where people related to similar topics get together. I'm not sure the time length on those ones, but um, it, the schedule's out there. Go out there, take a look. I think there's a lot of cool topics. It should be a fun and exciting summit. And then did you want to plug, Kote, uh, did you want to plug the spring platform conference as well coming up in August. Oh sure, yeah, yeah. We have we have that in August. I think it's like August first to fourth or something like that. I'll I'll put a link to it. But it's the uh, let me see if I get the name right. Spring One Platform, not Platform Spring One, but it's it's basically Pivotal's conference uh, about about obviously about Pivotal Cloud Foundry and Spring. But uh, I think I think there'll be a um, a fair a, a large amount of like technical stuff like you know, developer things like that. But there's also a lot of uh, culture and business stuff, the the kind of stuff we talk about here that will be going on there. And uh, yeah, that, that they actually have enjoyable. me speaking. They have oh. me speaking at that one. They suckered me into that somehow. Wonderful. Well, <laughs> the, the, your art, your friends in Pivotal are doing their job well, but uh, yeah, it should be nice. All, all three of us will be there. And uh, I'm, I'm sure there'll be, you know, if, if you've seen lots of the, uh, the videos from the cloud foundry foundation, um, you know, that, that, uh, people like like Matt's Matt's buddy at Allstate, Andy, have done, and other people talking about uh, 
why they're doing this and the challenges that they have. We should have a fair amount of that as well at, at Spring One Platform. Uh, if you've listened this far to the podcast, you'll be interested in both of those conferences. And with that, we'll wrap up. Thanks as always for listening, and we'll see everyone next time.